Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. My message is entitled this morning, Joy to the Church. We just got out of the holiday season, and all during the holiday season, of course, the famous phrase is joy to the world, joy to the world, right? And of course, it was a great joy, celebrating the birth of Christ, the most amazing event, the most important event that could possibly have happened to mankind, and we celebrate that. And unfortunately, the world in in its entirety doesn't see it as a time of joy. And of course, you know, you hear me say all the time that each day that we have breath in our lungs and we stand to serve God, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Christ in our mere existence. Amen? But it occurred to me that this joy can be fleeting. The joy to the world of the Christmas season can be fleeting and it can be a really, really high high and it can be a really low low and, and, and it can be challenging for some folks to go through that time and have all the family and all the excitement and the gifts and the shopping and the food and then suddenly everybody goes home and it gets real quiet and the gifts are you know, not as exciting anymore and so forth. It's a fleeting joy. But this morning I want to talk to you about joy to the church, the most incredible important aspect that we must maintain and take hold of, a weapon that we can use against the works of the enemy, against darkness, against things that come against us, a weapon that we can hold at our side. You know that in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit, me, the fruit of the Spirit, it's second only to love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. So it must be pretty important if Paul enumerated that in the book of Galatians and he listed joy as the second one in line. I'm only assuming he prioritized It seems that love would be the number one, right? God is love and so on and so forth, right? And so joy must be incredibly important. And as I mentioned to you at the tail end of my message from Sunday school this morning, all things should be counted for joy, whether we're suffering or whether we're dealing with reproach or persecution. All those things should be counted for joy because we know that famous phrase, we say it all the time. I've said it many times from this pulpit because it's one of my favorite. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why is that important? Because we need to maintain our strength our spiritual strength, our physical strength, our emotional strength, our mental strength has to be maintained. It has to be strong. We've got to be prepared. Why? Because as we progress through time and we progress through the plan that God has laid out in his word, things are going to get tougher. What we start to see through our eyes, look what we're seeing now, we're becoming desensitized to the calamities of the world and the, and the failings of mankind and the evil that surrounds us. We're almost, we're almost desensitized to it, but we also don't understand and we don't realize how much it affects us and how much it changes us and lays and weighs upon us as Christians. We're not going to be able to go out into the world and fulfill what I was talking about in Sunday school this morning if we're heavy laden with burdens and angry and bitter and sorrowful and, 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 and full of darkness and our joy is sapped out of us and we have no strength for the day. So I want to talk to you this morning about that and where it came from. In Nehemiah chapter 8, of all places, Nehemiah. How many remember what Ezra and Nehemiah did? 
Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. You remember I shared this with you. They were contemporaries. They knew each other. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. Artaxerxes and Ezra was a Levite priest. He was, he was active in the house of God. And, and God called upon Nehemiah and Ezra to do some pretty amazing things. That being the rebuilding Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. And you remember the analogy that I drew for you that, that Ezra, the, the Levite priest, was called to build, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem which had been destroyed and, and, and all of the things robbed out of it when, when they, were, they were taken captive, right? So Ezra was called to build or rebuild the temple of God and, and Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls around the temple. Come on now. And wasn't it interesting to find out that when Ezra was rebuilding the temple, nobody did anything. Nobody said anything to him, no big deal. He got money from a heathen king. Yeah, go ahead, rebuild your temple, that's fine. But when the walls started going up, that's when the enemy came. You see, because the enemy doesn't want you to build walls around your temple. See, he knows you can keep coming back to the place of repentance over and over and over again. You can rebuild your temple as many times as you want to, no big deal. Because if you don't have any walls up, I'll just march back in and take the temple down again. And one of these times, I'll take it down so far, you'll never come back. That's the plan of the enemy. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, these contemporaries, were giving two very important tasks. I'm not going to go back into that whole message. I will revisit it at some time. Because, brother and sister, we need some walls up. And I don't care what kind of label you put on it. I don't care how you want to defame it. I don't care how people want to knock it down and make it false doctrine and blah, 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 and all this stuff that they come against it. We need some walls up around our temple. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9, Nehemiah is celebrating... He didn't do it, but he's celebrating with his friend Ezra at the rebuilding of the temple. And you find through in this passage that they're celebrating this, and they've got the people of the temple, the people of Jerusalem gathered together, and it talks about how they put watchmen on the wall. How many know you can rebuild the wall, but you better have some guards standing there watching because they'll just come and knock it down again. There better be some people standing on your wall saying, no, this is the wall, this is Jerusalem, this doesn't go any further, you're not going to touch it. And if you try coming against my wall, if you try coming against the wall that I put up to protect my temple, I'll tell you what, I've got a legion of army that's going to come out and have something to say about it. Come on. So they put watchmen on the wall to protect it. And it says in verse 9 of Nehemiah 8, and Nehemiah, which is, the Tersh which is in Tershatha, excuse me, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. It's not a very joyful situation. So essentially what's happening is they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls, they put the watchmen out there, and Ezra, excuse me, Nehemiah is standing in the middle of the temple, and Ezra, and they're reading the word of the law. In other words, they're preaching a sermon, they're preaching out of the word of God. And what's happening is the people begin to weep and cry. Why? Because they're under conviction. Because they realize 
what had happened that allowed them to be taken into captivity and allowed for the temple to be destroyed and it took heathen kings and heathen money. By the way, the heathen are going to come and they're going to help rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. The kings are suddenly going to open up their floodgates and give cash to this effort and help Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra rebuild those two things. And so they're standing there and the people realize and they're convicted as to why it happened that the walls came down because there were no watchmen anymore, because they weren't trusting, because they weren't serving God, and why they got through the walls and got into the temple and destroyed it in the first place. Come on, preach with me. Somebody, somebody say I'm getting this. It's at the core of everything. They began to weep and they were crying when they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. In other words, just have a good time. It's all right. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither neither be ye sorry. Now here it is. You've heard it all this time. Here's where it is. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for this day is holy. Stop wailing and whining. It's no more time for that. You're repented. The the, the house is built and the walls are up and the watchmen are on. There's no more time for that. This is a great day. Hold your peace. This day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. Come on, are you with me? Come on. Just feeling it in the Holy Ghost. Don't be grieved anymore. Come on, this is a holy day. There's a roof over our heads. There's lights on. There's seats to sit on. There's wonderful brothers and sisters sitting side by side with you. A whole church full of people are sitting right next to you worshiping God. Don't be grieved anymore. This is a holy day because we're standing in the house of God and we're worshiping the name of the Lord. Now you got it. Now you got it. The people telling them to go their way. The people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. I love that word, mirth. You know what mirth is? It's just fun and joy and laughter and goofing around. <laughs> I'm looking at like 80 people who know to do, how to do that really well. Friday night, we were out at my beautiful daughter-in-law's house making mirth and cannoli at our Fancy Foods Connect group. Sister Mona Carlson, my one lone connect group person, showed up yesterday for crazy collectors. And we made mirth as we talked about our goofy collections and had fun, right? (laughs) Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. I think you're understanding the words that I'm declaring. It's not a time for sorrow. It's not a time to look backwards. It's not a time to, to bathe in the what was and the what, what could be and oh my goodness and oh my goodness and all this kind of stuff because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords made way for this church to be open this morning, for this temple to be there. There's watchmen on the wall. There's things that are going on in here. Chains were being broken this morning. You understand? It's a time for joy to the church. There's still problems. There's still people not happy. I don't know if I'm really into this. Not taking my joy. I'm still going to be joyful. 
I'll tell you what, if I show up here next week Sunday morning and it's me and my wife in an empty room, that's going to be joy. Come on. Proverbs chapter 12. You guys are so fun, and I, I just love to have fun with you. It's Proverbs chapter 12 and 20. It says, deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. Why is joy and strength combined? Why is, that, why is the joy of the Lord your strength? Think about it. It's physiological. Where are my nurses and my doctors and my... It's physiological, right? It's very simple. And the enemy wants to steal your joy at every turn. And, and by the way, it'll happen throughout the course of your day. There'll be things that will steal your joy. But if you get really good at having joy places and joy things and recovery joy and joy that you know from this word that I'm going to share from you today, it doesn't matter what happens. It'll snatch it away temporarily, but there'll be a string attached to it and it'll snap back and you'll get your joy back. Now, some people just say, oh, something bad happened. And they grab their joy and they go, fine, have my joy. I'll be angry. Feels good in the flesh to be angry and, you know, right? No. Physiologically speaking, letting your joy escape and not having any saps you of strength. It's what buries people in depression. It's what buries people into, into focusing on their problems. And, and they, take, they take all their issues and they get that. Remember my whole analogy of the giant magnifying glass or the giant, what was it, a giant microscope? I forget what I said. And they get a giant microscope. Let's pretend this is it. And they take their problems and they slide them right underneath there and they get on top and they stare down and, wow, my problems are bigger than everybody. And joy runs from that person. But joy is something that just creates a physiological response inside yourself that just says, I can handle this. I can do this. I can walk tall. I can do something. I can be strong for the Lord. And right now, there's a whole world surrounding us that's going, I want your joy. I want your joy. I'm going to come and get it. I've got a pandemic for you. <laughs> and this church, this church stood in an ovation when this pastor said, I'm not ever closing these doors again. And this church in joy jumped up and said, yes, we're not closing the church ever again. Woo! That was joy. That was joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. As I said before, I can go in my wife's purse and pull out that three, four, five hundred dollars she carries around and wad it up and hand it to somebody. And that joy is gonna last a long time. Hers will be gone, but somebody, somebody will be in joy, okay? And then they'll spend the first hundred and, and then they'll spend the second hundred and see what I'm saying? And then someday they're like, oh man, I totally blew all that. I should have never gone to Potawatomi. The joy of the world is fleeting. It's unsustainable. It's imaginary. Oh, they want to sell it. They sell it so good. Come and do this thing and there'll be great joy. Come to our restaurant. We've got all this great food. And the joy comes on later. Come to our bingo place. Come to our restaurant. Come to our vacation place. Joy, 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 joy. Go to Disney World. They manufacture joy and they put labels on it and they put a straw in it and you get to drink it all day until you get the bill on your credit card. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and 26, for God give it to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. So guess where it comes from? It comes from the Lord. Now he ain't just gonna, he didn't sell it. See, God doesn't sell joy like Disney World does. He's got some stipulations and he's got some requirements. And so we can't just walk in a church-like building and stand in the building and say, because I'm standing in the building, I'm a Christian, and slap a label on yourself and say, okay, fill my joy. Fancy concerts with lots of lights and drama and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to bring total joy. You know what brings total joy? That phenomenal, beautiful, anointed worship that we experience here this morning. I've got so much joy packed up in my bones right now. You could cut my left toe off and I'd still be smiling. <laughs> Gabriel wants to try it out. Psalm chapter 16 and 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There's a stipulation. Where are you all right now? Worshiping here at this altar, worshiping where you were, being in church, gathering together with brothers and sisters of like-minded praise and worship, you are in the presence of God. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. That fullness means it's complete. It's real. It's not fleeting. It's not something you get at Disney World till you get the bill. See, there's no bill. You don't go home and suddenly God says, okay, I got to get paid now. I'm going to take it away from you. It's fullness of joy in his presence. Well, I can watch church on my TV and I get the same thing. Some people have to. There's health issues. There's people in hospitals. There's people in places that can't travel. You know, there's people that are far away from here that watch this. I don't know why. It's, they just want to see if I trip and fall or something. Or, but they tune in for the word. Thank you, Sister Time. There's, God says he inhabits the praises of his people. So if in his presence... If he inhabits, that means his presence is here and that's where the fullness of joy is. In Psalms 27 and 6, the psalmist writes, And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. How many, have you, how many are facing enemies right now? How many have challenges out there? It doesn't mean you've got some foe that wants to come over and fight you. I'm talking about the enemies of life, the enemies that challenge you and things that you deal with and you struggle with internally. Maybe a bad habit you've got. Maybe something that you're trying to get over. Maybe just dealing with life or family or some kind of a situation. That's an enemy to you, and it's also a sapper of your joy. And he's talking about the enemies round about me. We can relate to that. But he says, therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle. Doesn't say in your living room. Doesn't say at your couch or your kitchen table eating your Cheerios while you're listening to pastor. It says, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Why do you people go to church all the time? I'm here to offer sacrifices of joy. Because as our worship team, great job, worship team. Awesome. Beautiful. But as our worship team began to just, can you tell that they're not performing? Can you tell that they're not up here playing a song? They're up here worshiping. Yeah. 
And as our worship team began to worship and the presence of God began to move, uh, the, the sacrifice of joy, I just, I just got, I went back and, and, and dropped, I have my phone in my pocket all the time, I dropped it off, I don't like to preach with it, and, and I just looked at my wife and I said, she, she is awesome, <laughs> I was talking about my daughter-in-law, but just, it was beautiful and there was just so much joy there, and I'll sing, yay, I will sing praises unto the Lord. I'm sorry, I, I have a hard time believing that people are doing that outside of the church environment like they really should. Psalms 43 and 4 says, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp I will I praise thee, O God, my God. He's talking about, again, involving in that praise. He says in Psalm 126 and 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. We've heard that scripture many, many times. Well, the reality of it is, is that life brings those times that cause us to weep. And those challenges and those things that we have to weep. And I just have a really simple question for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you know that, God, that the life is going to bring you to a place of brokenness, it's going to cause you to weep. Who can, who can be honest with me here this morning and say there are things that have happened to you in life that have literally, you've just sat down and cried? Come on. So here's my simple question for you. It's very, very easy. If you know that life is going to bring that to you, if you know that it's been there before, you know that life brings those challenges, why not sow those tears in the presence of God? Why not bring those hurts and sorrows to the altar of the Lord? And when a beautiful pile of worship is going on and the Spirit is moving back and forth, come and sow your tears before the Lord because guess what? You're going to get them all out and an answer's going to come and pretty soon you're going to be reaping in joy because God's going to bring you the answer. I'm winding her up here this morning. But I want to talk to you about a factor of joy that's my favorite. And the devil hates it. And I've preached about it before, so I'm repeating a little bit. Psalm chapter 5 and 11 says it this way. He says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Someone said one time, what's the difference between joy and rejoice? And I just, it's joy again. Yes, right? Repeating joy. Or it's just to joyce again. But look what it says after that line. Let them ever shout for joy. Come on now. You want to talk about the physiological? Talk about what things do, how joy works in your body? When I heard some people that were up here earlier, by the way. This scares some folks, you know that? They were, there are some people used to traditional faith. Church, we just sort of mildly and quietly say our prayer, and that's nice too. Sometimes soft, quiet prayers before the Lord are a wonderful thing. You know, it wasn't it Hannah that just mumbled to herself at the altar and Eli thought she was drunk? But I want to tell you, there's something physiologically powerful and something that affects the devil, and that's a shout of joy. It's not rah-rah. It's not just trying to get people to make a lot of noise, but I heard some shouts in here. I heard some people just get that voice up there, and they shouted praise, and I want to tell you that the enemy hates it. I shared with you one time, Lee Stone King did a a study on this thing, and he learned that the shouting is literally, it shreds the air. Who is the prince and power of the air? 
the devil, that's right, the enemy. And he said that when we shout, when we lift our voices up, there's a, there's a sound wave things that literally, sh- it just shatters the air. It breaks it up, which means whatever the enemy's doing to somebody, whatever they're talking into your ears or whatever he's saying to you, I don't want to be in church today. I don't really like this. That guy doesn't do anything for me. And people begin to shout. It literally disrupts the work of the enemy because all the enemy have against, has against you is a little voice that he speaks into your ear. He crawls into that play field and your mind and he begins to tell you things that are wrong. He operates in there and he starts sapping the joy out of you. And if we start praising and worshiping and we just got to get that joy on. But then we begin to shout for him. The Bible says it. It's in the Bible. It's in the word of God. The same Bible that the traditional faith places have. They just don't read that part for some reason. I don't know why. But if you get into it, it says shout for joy. Shout for the victory. Shout your praises unto the Lord. Come on, there's a physiological effect. Yes, that's it. Somebody say, woo! Somebody say, praise you, Lord! Yes. Shout for the Lord. That's okay. We can do that here. We make the rules. I kind of have a part in that. So I'm giving everybody freedom. It's all, it's a new rule. Shout at the top of your lungs as long as you're not shouting at me. Shout your praises. Listen to what it goes on to say. Rejoice, let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee for thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor. Wilt thou compass him as, and you'll compass him as a shield. You understand what he's saying there? With favor, wilt thou compass him as with a shield. In other words, you're, stand, you're standing wherever you are. I don't care if you're in your car driving to work and you're going, yes, praise the Lord. And you're singing and you're worshiping in the spirit. But when you shout, it's like God puts a shield around you. See, the enemy can't do anything because he's the prince and power of the air. And your voice is louder than his. I don't care what you say. If you've got the Holy Ghost inside you, what, your voice is louder than his. It's just automatic. You get that? Yes. And so when you shout for joy, you're literally placing a shield around you that the enemy can't continue to penetrate. What, what if every, every AA place and every, every advisor and counselor and, and, and people, psychiatrists and all these people just learned this little piece, the shout piece, and shared it with people and taught it and built it into them? In Psalm 32, 11, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in the heart. He goes on to say in 35 and 27, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Get that? Did you catch that? You shout and praise him. And you need things, the prosperity of a servant means the things that are hurting you, the things that are coming against you, the enemies that are winning against you. He will deliver you prosperity. I'm not talking about cash stuff. I'm talking about prospering in your ability to maintain your joy, your ability to maintain your spiritual strength. Psalm 139 excuse me, 132 and 9 says, Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. Think about that. He could say shout for praise, shout for this, shout for that. But again and again and again, David, the great psalmist, the one who knew God, the one who had God's heart, David said shout for joy, shout for joy, shout for joy, shout for joy. That must be where it comes from. 
But here's the final piece, and you can stand with me this morning. If you've been saved according to the word of God, your joy is built in. You don't got to go out and find it somewhere. You don't got to buy and sell for it, trade for it. You don't have to dig it out of the earth. It's a gift. That's right, buddy. It is built in. Isaiah chapter 12 and 3. Listen to what he says. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And finally, in Acts chapter 13 and 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They were doing his work. They were sacrificing their praise. They were following his word. And they were shouting for joy. Shouting for joy. Joy to the church. Praise the Lord. This altar is open this morning. Come down. Just stand at the altar and just bask in praise. Let's just worship him today at our altar service. Just And take a big old giant pile of joy home with you. Be strong in him. Worship him. Love him. But when we get back together and we continue to grow and we continue to move forward and we're worshiping our Lord, I want to hear some shouts. I want to hear people that know that they've been pulled from the pit. I want to hear people that know that God is operating in their life. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.